0: There, That was pretty good. Um, Just want to, again, say thank you so much for joining and participating with us. Please show your appreciation to the band and to the musicians. I want to just continue to say uh, to those of you who are regulars here at City Church, you know, please consider City Church in your year in giving. If you're still planning on doing so, we would appreciate that uh, very, very much. Uh, just also, uh, you know, this, in the last couple of weeks, we, we did a, um, we, we worked with Cedar Hall School to provide Christmas gifts for uh, kids there, and actually for families to be able to purchase them. Uh, or not to purchase them, but to take them home and to give them to their own kids. And we just wanted to show you a little video of how that day went. Would you guys mind to show that? I want to be part of this so that I can see the shepherds, and I know that the families go through this time, and I've been helping differently. The idea of how that works is that, you know, we, we, give, we bring gifts, give them to Cedar Hall, but the families are able to come and take those gifts and then give them to their children um, as a way of giving them dignity and uh, allowing them to celebrate Uh, Christmas in the way that the rest of us do and so it's a real privilege for us. Thank you so much for your generosity um, to the families at Cedar Hall. You know Christmas is a special time of the year um, really regardless of people's religious beliefs. It's still a special time of the year. For many people it's about family uh, reuniting. Kids of course it's about gifts. For some it's about the food like the unbelievable apricot almond bars my wife makes for me every Christmas except this one, which I'm not bitter about at all. Um, for many people, Christmas comes with the anticipation of a, of a bonus of some kind, you know, a gift from their place of work, maybe cash Uh, Maybe a few extra vacation days. I've even heard of a few people who received, like, all expenses paid vacation to a tropical destination. You can understand why that would make Christmas special. And I'm thinking in particular now about the elders of City Church, if you're listening, that might be a really nice gift for someone like your pastor. (laughs) But I want you to imagine that you uh, change jobs in the middle of the year, let's say. You came from a job in which the management was very, very generous at Christmas, and you've, you've changed jobs, and you've gone to a job in which, unbeknownst uh, to you, the place isn't as generous uh, during the holidays. It's your first Christmas with the company, and instead of getting the generous bonus that you were used to in your previous job, you get what some of these people actually got from their workplaces. One woman uh, wrote in uh, to an article saying this. She said, I got a coupon to eat a free meal at the nursing home I worked at as a cook, and they didn't charge for staff meals anyway. How would you like that Christmas bonus? Another wrote, I received an envelope full of pamphlets on how to lose weight with no letter or explanation. One man said, I received a gas card for $15 from a place that had been closed for nearly six months. Another said, for Christmas, they actually gave the employees a photocopy of a turkey silhouette. It wasn't even a copy of a real turkey. It looked like the turkeys your kids made out of their handprints in kindergarten, except it wasn't even in color. But I think this is the the worst one of all. One man said, I received a ham from my company, which in itself wouldn't be so bad, except I'm vegan and Jewish, And maybe your job isn't so bad after all, huh? What we celebrate at Christmas as Christians is that God unsparingly and lavishly gave us the gift that every human heart longs for most. What we long to know, every single one of us, is that we are loved, and to be more specific, We hunger to know that we are accepted as we are, forgiven for all that we've done, and cared for by a gracious, loving God who smiles when He thinks of us. The Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung once wrote that the curious paradox is that when I accept myself as I am, then I can change. And that's a lovely sentiment. The problem, you see, is that none of us can accept ourselves as we are. We need someone else to tell us that we're accepted. Someone great. Someone transcendent. Someone who knows the innermost parts of us, who knows our thoughts, knows the things that we don't tell anyone else for fear of rejection, knows our guilt, knows our shame, and says, I accept you the way you are. That's the gift that God gave us in a baby born to a virgin, Announced by angels, visited by wise men, hunted by King Herod, and who has been celebrated at Christmas for over 2,000 years. That's what we celebrate as followers of Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible with you this afternoon, I'd like for you to find Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I want to look uh, for just a few moments at the extravagance of the gift that God has lavished upon us in the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 isn't a passage that uh, I think most people think of when they think of Christmas, but I think it's actually quite appropriate, and I think you will too, uh, after we take a look at it. Colossians in the New Testament, and we'll start at verse 15, and I want you to see if you can detect anything about these verses that remind you of Christmas. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, "...for He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities." Shed on the cross. Actually, I said verse 15, but I meant verse 13. You found it anyway, right? Uh, Anything there in that passage remind you of the Christmas story? Anything at all? Here's a hint. What did the wise men ask when they came to see the newborn baby, Jesus? Anyone remember? They asked, uh, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. Does that help any? Does that bring anything to mind? See, don't feel bad if it doesn't because I realize it's kind of an obscure hint and and you likely haven't been thinking about Colossians 1 all week long as I have. I think, though, that if you were to go back and read over that passage, you would notice that there's a great deal of language in those verses that calls to mind royalty. The word kingdom in verse 13, which, of course, implies a king. And then there are thrones and authorities and supremacy and the firstborn. All of those are words that you would use when you're speaking about a king. And what we're being told here is that the child whose birth that we celebrate this afternoon is the one that the wise men were asking about when they asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Anyone... um, Anyone watch uh, The Crown on Netflix? Anybody been watching that? Not too many of you. Maybe a few. Some of you don't want to raise your hands. I get it. Uh, most of the series, you know, over the years dealt with Queen Elizabeth until just this last season when Prince Char- I don't think I'm telling you the end of the story here, but uh, I don't, This like this isn't, you know, but it, until just this last season when Prince Charles in his 70s becomes the king. But Prince Charles wasn't born king. He was born the next king. He was born the heir to the throne. But Jesus was born king. And what we find in Colossians 1 is that the wise men, while accurate in describing Jesus as the king of the Jews, weren't thinking big enough with that description. I mean, yes, he Jesus was the king of the Jews. By ancestry, he was a descendant of the great Jewish king, David. And the New Testament opens with the gospel writer Matthew detailing that lineage as you would as would be right to do for a royal birth. But Paul is telling us here in Colossians 1 that the baby born that first Christmas was not just born king of the Jews, but in the most jaw-dropping headline in all of human history, he's telling us that Jesus was born king of the universe. That the baby lying in a manger was the actual king of the universe. And you can see that in the language he uses. Paul says, first of all, he says that Jesus is now and was at his birth. I don't know if you saw this or not, but he said that he was supreme over all of creation. Uh, Paul goes through this long list of things that he says. He says, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And then he, he sums it up in verse 18, and he says, so that... In everything, he might have, Jesus, he might have the supremacy. He's supreme over all creation. Now, here's a little brain teaser for you. As Jesus grows up, uh, the authority that his mother and father have over him was given to them by Jesus himself. If Mary ever said to him, do such and such, because I said so and I'm your mom, Jesus could have said Well, only because I gave you that position. See, there's no greater power, no greater authority than Jesus. He is supreme over all creation. The highest mountains, in all of their snow-capped glory and awe-inspiring majesty, quake at the sound of his name and worship their creator. The deepest oceans, though their waters roar and their waves thunder with power upon the shorelines, exist to declare his glory. Satan and all of his demons, invisible to the human eye, tremble at his name. Presidents and princes, kings, celebrities, academy award winners, athletes, dictators, authors, uh, pastors, atheists, agnostics, self-help gurus, Nobel Prize-winning scientists, the Dalai Lama will all one day bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King Of the universe. There is no one more important, no one more exalted, no one more supreme than Jesus. He is the big K king above all little k kings. He is supreme over all creation. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's the gift that God gave to humanity on the first Christmas. As if being supreme over all of creation isn't enough, Colossians 1 also explains in breathtaking words that Jesus is the sustainer of all creation. He's supreme over all creation, but He is also the sustainer over all creation. Colossians 1 says that in Him, verse 17, in Him all things hold together. Now what does He mean by all things? Well, look at the context. Verse 16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now how, let me ask you, how many, how many things were created by him and for him? If you didn't get it the first time, you would have gotten it about the fifth time. All things, right? Now, if you notice, Paul breaks that phrase, all things, uh, he breaks it down into two categories. He says he's the one who, is, who, has, uh, who created and who has supremacy over and sustains all things that are... The first category is things that are visible. In other words, things that you can see and touch. Uh, Jesus is the king who brings physical order to the visible universe. You know, all of science is based on this idea of physical order in the universe. If I pick up a football today and uh, throw it through the air, the laws of aerodynamics tomorrow will be the same, right? The reason that you can fly on an airplane tomorrow is because the laws of aerodynamics are the same tomorrow as they are today. Flight might be late, might be canceled, but that's another story. The laws of aerodynamics are the same. That's the order that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Jesus sustains that physical order of the universe. The reason that everything holds together and isn't just random chaos is because Jesus holds it all together which makes him the author and king of all of the physical laws of science that we have discovered and have yet to discover. He's the sustainer of all that is physical, all that is visible. But more than that, he says he's also the one who is the sustainer, who holds together all things that are invisible. So not just the visible, physical universe, but the invisible, uh, metaphysical universe. This is what Shakespeare was referring to when he wrote, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, that are dreamt of in your philosophy. Perhaps in yours too, maybe. If you took a course, I don't know, high school, college, wherever, in philosophy, you probably talked at some point about metaphysics, things like the meaning of life, identity, morality, how we know anything, also called epistemology. These are all included in this. When Paul says that all things were created by him and all things are sustained by him, visible or invisible. All of the philosophical and theological categories are under Jesus' authority and find their answer in him. Life has meaning because of Jesus. Moral order exists because of Jesus. The concept of identity exists because of Jesus. The only reason that life isn't complete chaos is because Jesus, Jesus, the child born in the manger, is the sustainer of it all. That's the gift that God has given us in Christ Jesus. That's the gift that we celebrate. The one who is supreme over all creation and the one who sustains everything. But besides all of that, we're being told here that Jesus is not just supreme, he's not just the sustainer of the universe, but that he is also the savior of the world. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That word reconcile, when you read it in the Bible, it sounds so theological, so let me just define it for you. It means to to reconcile means to reestablish a close relationship with someone. Or maybe it means to resolve something. And you can see that sense of the word in this phrase when he says that Jesus made peace through His blood shed on the cross. The reason that we cannot, as Carl Jung suggested, accept ourselves is because we all know that we fall short. There is a guilt, an inherent guilt that plagues us. I don't know uh, know if you saw it or not, but Today, in the New York Times, uh, there was a a video chronicling how loneliness affects people in uh, nearly every decade of adult life, like somebody in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, they'd interviewed all of these people and they put them on camera and they were talking about their loneliness in each decade of their life. And the thing that struck me was how many people talked about their loneliness in terms of guilt Punishment, that somehow they feel uh, that their loneliness is some form of punishment, which of course it isn't. But do you hear how that sense of guilt just inherently lives within us? We know it intuitively. There's something flawed about us that needs resolved. And this passage tells us that the gift of Christmas, every every human heart longs for, the gift of love, acceptance, and forgiveness is found in the king born into a manger on the first Christmas. The king who would show the depths of God's love by dying on a cross for our guilt, for our sin. And here's something that I think we can all agree on. I recognize, by the way, that some of you are here on the arm of a family member or a friend perhaps, and maybe you don't buy any of this. Maybe you just hear it as a story. Could I just say this, that I think even you could agree conceptually that in this story, the story of Christmas, that God the Father wasn't cheap or miserly. Rather, he spared no expense with the gift of Jesus, and with great pleasure, as Colossians 1 says, he gave us the most lavish, extravagant gift we could ever be given in giving us the king of the universe, supreme over all of creation, the sustainer of the universe and the Savior of the world. What greater gift could the world be given than the King of kings in the person of Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we, uh, when confronted with a passage like this one in Colossians 1, we're struck by the extent of the sacrifice you made and the lavishness uh, of your Father and the extravagance of the gift that has been given to us. And I pray for everyone in the room this afternoon that as we celebrate Christmas this year that we would spend some time at least reminding ourselves how incredibly generous that God the Father has been with humanity. And for those that may not understand that, may not even believe it, I pray that something about that would maybe just kind of it would just kind of find a place in their hearts and maybe even over time that they would come to appreciate that extravagance and generosity that you have so joyfully given to humanity and you did it to bridge the chasm that exists between me, a sinful person who needs love so deeply and you, the author of love. And it's in Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.